I want to talk to you about something very important. In fact, today I want to talk about the most important subject in the history of the world. You say, well, what is that, Pastor? We're going to talk about salvation. Salvation. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I want to begin a few weeks of, of, of messages, and I can tell you, I won't get through with this today, and nor am I going to try to get through with this. But I want to start a series of messages that the Lord put on my heart, and I wrestled with this title of the series. I really wrestled with it. Um, in fact, I've changed it about three times, and I even want to, even during this service, I'm praying and meditating, I think I want to change it again. You know, we may call an audible right here in the middle of church service. But whatever the case is, whatever we title it, the, the Word of God is what's most important. But I want to talk about, and this is where I've got, I want to talk about portraits of grace. You know, on your wall in your hallway, you have portraits of your family. We're going to look at some portraits of God's family. The most special people in the world are the people of the Lord. And I just, let's just pray a moment. Father, we ask that your blessing over these few minutes here, that you would speak to our hearts. Jesus, I truly believe that you are speaking and you're going to speak during these moments because we, we're opening your word. We're going to be reading your scriptures. We're going to be meditating on these incredible scriptures today. And I pray there would be eternal fruit from this message and these messages and this series. I pray that you would speak and I pray that you would open every heart and that we would not allow the enemy to steal the seed. Lord, sometimes the seed of your word doesn't get out the back door of the church. Sometimes an hour after we get home, we turn on the TV and we've lost the seed. Has no effect on it, no, no impact on it. It was just came in and went out. But Lord, I pray that this series would go deep down in our hearts and it would change us. Those that are not saved, that they would get saved. Those that are saved would develop a deeper gratitude and appreciation for what we have. And so Lord, help us to understand these portraits of grace. We ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' great name, amen. There's something that I've noticed and that I think that you probably are aware of. I would say it this way, if you're not aware of it, our heads are probably in the sand somewhere or you're hermit somewhere up in the mountains and haven't been aware of what's going on. But one of the things that I've been very aware of in our nation over the last many years has been coming for years, and that is there's an identity crisis. Have you noticed it? There's, a, there's, a, there's an identity crisis. I would say it's, it's not only, it's an individual crisis, in, uh, identity crisis, but it also really, in a sense, there's a national, individual, or national identity crisis. It's been growing. There's like this growing confusion of, of what our identity is. And the truth is, if someone doesn't know their identity, their true identity, you'll believe almost anything that anyone says about you, any opinion, whatever. This, this kind of crisis, in my thinking, has gone to such proportions that people say that their identity is fluid. In other words, they say it can change from time to time based on whatever circumstance you're in or, or even your own personal feelings. And I think that's tragic. I really do. 
And I think it's tragic for many reasons. One of the reasons I think it's tragic is because if someone doesn't know their true identity, they can never find true happiness unless we know who God has created us to be. I think another reason is it's very sad because you'll never be able to fulfill your real God-given destiny. You know, God's created every person. God, Psalms talks about how he's written their, their, their book out. And I believe that we're created with perfect design. If you don't know that design, then you never find your real purpose and real fulfillment in life. And I think another reason it's really sad about this identity crisis is because you make the authority of who you are based on the opinions of others or cultural pressures or even personal feelings rather than the unchanging word of the living God. So knowing our identity is vital to being successful and being satisfied. There's, so there's this identity crisis, this kind of this individual crisis of identity individually, but also I think in a sense nationally, but there's actually another identity crisis. And that's the crisis that I want to deal with over these next several weeks here. And that's not an identity crisis out there. It's an identity crisis in here. It's an identity crisis all over this nation, in the house of God, among the people of the Lord. An identity crisis that we don't know who we are. And if we don't know who we are as the people of the Lord, we're never going to be effective in our service for the Lord. We'll be without purpose. We'll be without direction if we don't know who we are in God's identity. In other words, in Hosea, it says this. And Hosea says in 4 and 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that word destroyed literally means cut off. You look in the margin of many Bibles, it says cut off. My people are cut off for a lack of knowledge. So when we don't know what God says, we don't know what the word of God says about who we are as the people of the Lord, we're cut off from our destiny. We're cut off from our resources. We're cut off from our blessings. So God wants us to know who we are. It says this in Proverbs, where there is no vision. It's old King James. Pull out the old King James today. Without a vision, my people perish. But really it means without a revelation of the law of God, people cast off restraint. See, when we don't know who we are and what our purpose and what the will of God is for individual but also the body. I'm going to read a text in a moment. And what you're going to see is, we'll cast off restraint. People are going here. They don't know what to do. Their life is just, we're going to use the word willy-nilly. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I know what it means. We all know what it means, right? Willy-nilly. You know, it's just kind of here and there. Identity crisis. But our identity, I'm talking about us as the people of the Lord, should, is never based, should never be based on personal preferences. In other, words, we, in other words, we don't dictate to the Lord, Lord, this is what I think your church needs to be, or that's what I think your church needs to be. When, when we look at identity, we don't poll the congregation. What we do is we open the word of God, amen? I mean, we all have preferences, and those, many of those preferences, are all, they may be all good because of the differences we have. But when it comes to the church and who God is and his kingdom, we can't just say, well, what do you think? And what do you think? And what do you think? What we have to do is say, God, what do you think about us today? And we know because we have the word of the Lord. Amen. 
Our identity must come from the word of the Lord. So this morning, we're going to look at portraits of grace. We're going to look at the family of the Lord. We're going to find and discover our identity. He said, well, how important is that? Why is it so vital that we as the church find our identity? Because understanding our identity is to understand our eternal purpose. You hear that? To understand our identity is to understand and discover our mission. To understand our identity is to understand the heart of God for lost people. To understand our identity is to understand what's our place in the world. What are we, we're the church, but what are we, what are we doing down here? Why didn't God just take us to heaven? When we understand our, our identity, our true identity, we discover our place in the world. We, we, we discover an accurate worldview. We, we look at the world. When we know our identity and we know who the Lord is, we look at the world correctly. We see the world from the mind of Christ. And then we, to understand our identity is to understand we have an incredible future. In fact, the only people that have a future are the people, are the people of the Lord. That's why we must share the good, the good news of the gospel. Every once in a while, there's a, a commercial that comes on, and it's called LifeLock. You ever seen LifeLock? Now, what LifeLock is, it's a, it's a program that you can purchase, probably a monthly fee. And what they do, they promise to protect your identity. It's a, it's a protection program. It guards your identity from being stolen. Now, how many know the enemy wants to steal your identity? The enemy wants to steal the identity of the church. He wants to tweak it and change it and distort it to where we don't know what, what we are, who we are anymore. But you know what the word of God does? The word of God is our life lock. The word of God, it identifies who we are. It protects our identity from what I call spiritual theft identity. They're spiritual identity thefts. So we want to find out who we are. So the question we're going to ask in these few weeks is this. Who are we? Who are we? Who are we as God's people? Who are we? Now look at this. This, and I'll give you the title of this message. We're talking about portraits of grace. But here's, here, I'm going to give you a title in a second. But we're going, to, we're going to look at it first. We're going to look at this verse. This is an incredible verse passage. First John chapter three in verse one, just three verses. John says, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed. Now notice all the plurals, us's and we's. Notice this identity is what is an identity that we have together. It's amazing what happens when we discover the church and the identity of the church. We all just, we all just meld together in the love of God. It's an amazing thing. Do you feel that? It's an amazing thing. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Us that we should be called the children of God. The children of God. Say that out loud. The children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Be beloved, now we are the children of God right now. 
It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. In other words, we are the children of God now. But oh, God has so much more involved for us. He has so much for us. It is not yet even been fully known. Oh, if the world just knew who we were, they would just roll out the red carpet for every one of us. It says, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now, I only have just a few minutes to give you this. I've titled this message this, a statement. It's a statement. The title is a statement. And I want you to say it in your heart. You can even say it out loud. The title of this message is this, I am a child of God. Now, I didn't say this. This is what God says. Now, if we could understand this, all, you know, what people call inferiority complexes and all these quirks that people have psychologically, it would wipe it away and it would conquer it forever in your heart. Because you and I, if we are followers of Jesus Christ and we've truly been saved, we are God's children. And we're in a great big family, aren't we? Are we not? I'm a child of God. Say that, I, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Now just briefly, we have to go back in our thinking. We have to go back in redemptive history. To understand the way the world is today, you have to go back. Why is our world? Well, I sat down with someone recently, just this week, and they were talking about these questions. Why is our world like it is? Why do things happen? Why are there injustices? Why do confusing things happen? Why do good things happen to bad, or bad things happen to good people? Well, that's a fallacy. There's no good people. We're all sinners. But something happened that explains why our world is like it is. And it's in the word of God. It's in Genesis. And, and it's the great disaster it's, it's a disaster of epic proportions. Uh, last night I saw a, a thing over in a uh, town near here. There was a shooting. Why did that shooting happen? Why do people harm each other? Why do, why do people do evil? Why do we do evil? And it's explained in the big disaster. It's a disaster of epic proportions. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. I won't read the chapter. It's, it's also referred to in Romans 5. I won't read all those verses. I'll just read one verse because this one verse, it just is like a broad swath. And it just, it just is, it tells so much. And it's Romans 5, 12. And here's, here's what it says. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. There was a moment in time when sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. All have sinned. This speaker has sinned. You have sinned. We have all sinned against God. No one can say they haven't. We have. We've all sinned against God. Sin entered the world. Genesis 1 127 says that before that time, we were created in the image of God. Genesis 127. There was a moment in time when human beings were the image of God 
And we still, we still bear some of that image, diminished form, and it's being recreated in us in Christ. That image is being recaptured and rediscovered in the death and the burial and the resurrection. And in being, when we know God, when we meet God, we're, be, we're being sanctified. We're being made like the Lord. But in the beginning, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They did not know sin. They had the capacity to sin, as, as is evident. But they didn't have a sin nature. And the image of God, you say, what is the image of God? I think it's, um, it's a, it was a moral likeness in that man was holy. There was a, a fellowship that was amazing. And they bore his image. There was even a physical likeness in, in, the, in, the, sense that, in the sense that when God would send his son to the world, he didn't send him like an elk. Or a moose, he sent him as a human being. So there was a there was somehow a physical likeness to God in some in some way that Jesus would be born a man. We are created in the image of God, and it, and it says, but it also says this. After the fall, it says this in, in Genesis five and three. Look at this verse. And Adam lived one hundred and thirty years, and he begot a son in his own likeness. And after his own image. And here's what that means. It explains everything to me. It satisfies my intellect. It means this. That right there in Adam's own image means that, that, that's, that we were made sinners. Now you say, well, Adam's sin? I'm not worried about Adam's sin. I'm worried about my own sin. It's not Adam's sin, it's my sin. Because we've all sinned. The Old Testament story reveals how sinful we really were because Genesis 5 and 1 says this. Look at this. It says the book of the generations of Adam or the genealogy of Adam. It's his, the, 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 the story of the Old Testament in one sense is this. I know there's redemptive promises and, and prophecies and pictures that Christ would come, but really it's the book of the generation of Adam, me, meaning this, meaning this, that we were born and we, I almost, I should have called this the Adams family. You know, wasn't that, -na -na -na, you know, the, isn't that it? Don't want to get that started. That'll get in your head like the baby shark thing. That will mess you up. I've got grandkids. You know, the baby shark came after the kids. But the grandkids and sometimes Ben to get on my lap and he'll say, I want the baby shark. And we'll get the baby shark going. And that thing's in my head for days. I'll be driving down the road. And I'm not praying. I'm singing baby shark. <laughs> but I remember the Adams family. And I can tell you this, all of us, and it has nothing to do with this right here. Zero. It has to do with this right here. It has to do with our hearts. We were all born in the Adams family, in the Adam family. And we all have, before Christ, a sin nature. And we all have the capacity to fail the Lord and to sin against him. And when you fail the Lord, even as a Christian, I'm going to talk about that in a second if I get to it. But even when we fail the Lord, don't you, don't, don't, don't you just, don't your heart break? Your heart breaks. 
When you fail the Lord in any capacity, you, your heart breaks. No one has to beat you up and say, oh, you, are, you beat yourself up because you want to serve the Lord. That's one of the signs you're saved, by the way. Paul talked about in the church, you know, we talk about identity. And Paul talked about the, 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 um, the story of the church or the epistle that explains the church is Ephesians. If you want to know about the church, you read Ephesians. It's about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles and all these different people coming to faith in Christ and meeting at the cross. And Paul was describing that and say, talking about how the church was formed and notice what he's saying. He's saying the same thing I'm saying right here to you in chapter 2 of Ephesians. You, who, you were made alive. You, were, you, were, you found your identity, but you were once dead in trespasses and sins. You were in Adam's family. You once walked the court of the world, the prince of the power of the air, etc., etc. And you're by nature children of wrath. I won't read all that, but, but we were born in Adam's family. We were of the generation of Adam. We were lost. We were without God. We were without hope in the world. But hear this. That's not the end of the story. Listen to me. That's not the end of the story. Why are we putting this church up? Because it's not the end of the story. There's another story. And it, the, the New Testament opens with it. It's amazing. You say, what does it open with? Matthew 1 and 1. You ever read Matthew 1 and 1? Look at Matthew 1 and 1. Here's what Matthew 1 and 1 says. If you put that up, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Genealogy means generations. The generation. The book. Now, remember what I read to you? What I showed you in, in uh, Genesis 5 and 1, right? The generations of Adam. There's another generation. Mm, 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 mm. The book of the generations of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. What happened? Here's what happened. Our first parents fell. But, our, but God in his mercy, and that's what I proclaim to you today, the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. God in his mercy said, I'm going to start a new family and that means this, that every single human being, no matter who they are, where they're from, what color they are, what ethnicity they are, what socioeconomic background they are, it doesn't matter who they are. Every single one of us are sinners. But God made it possible that each of us that are Adam's descendants could get out of Adam and get into a brand new family. And that's the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. Because we can be children of God. We don't have to stay in Adam's family. We can get in God's family. Here's what Corinthians says, 1545. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Adam became a living being. And Adam, Adam through procreation, can give physical, biological life. God has given human beings the ability to procreate. But what human beings cannot do is give eternal life and give spiritual life. But there was a last Adam. Look at this. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus is the life-giving spirit. He can give us life. He can give us eternal life. Listen, he can lift us out of spiritual death. He can lift us out of sin and bondage, and he can redeem us by his grace. Do you believe that today? So the good news is this. The good news is, is that, the gospel, that through the gospel, sinners may be forgiven. 
and that we can experience the greatest miracle known to man. You say, what is that? It's a Red Sea parting, blind. No, no, no. The greatest miracle is the miracle of being born again through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's just think about this a moment. I'm almost done. I just gave you my introduction. Maybe I'll whet your appetite a little bit. But I'm a child of God. Are you a child of God? Listen. We've been in John, and John 3 is, we see Jesus as the divine teacher. And you say, well, what's Jesus teaching in John 3? He's teaching about eternal life. In this one verse, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that the only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This talks about how to get into God's family. You know how you got in the earthly family, don't you? Birth. That's how we got here. Now, some folks I thought might have been hatched, but no, they were, they were birth, you know. I've told people that. You were, I think you were hatched, boy. Of course, I was kidding. But we, were, we all came the same way. We were birthed by birth. That's how we get in the human family, birth. It's the same way you get into God's family's birth, but it's a, but it's a supernatural birth. It's a, it's a spiritual birth that takes place. And, and just briefly here as I land this, I want to get this, I want to get you at least to this. Jesus said in John 3 and John 3, 7, 3, 3 and 3, 7, except a man be born again, he cannot see or experience the kingdom of God. Verse 7, you must be born again. The theologians call that word regeneration. And it just means to be born again. Now, what happens? Let me just explain this, and then I want to close in prayer. Certainly not even scratch the surface of this. Every child of God has two spiritual parents. I know God's our father, but just track with me. We have two spiritual parents. You say, what, what, just like, just like you were physically, there had to be two parents. There had to be a man and a woman, right? We've gotten confused on that too in our world. But there's two parents. There were two parents. That's the only way to be born in this world. Two parents. Do you realize that you have two spiritual parents? Because everyone that's ever been born again is born again by these two spiritual parents. And you say, who are the two spiritual parents? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. You hear that? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. John, listen to John 3, 5. Jesus said, and he answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, say the Spirit, but the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter or experience the kingdom of God. Now notice what 1 Peter 1, 23 says. Having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed through what? The word of God, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Here's what happens in the process. Here's what happens in the spiritual birthing. The spirit, in spiritual birth, the spirit of God takes the seed of the word of God, applies it to the lost person's heart, brings life, generates faith, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith is birth, birth and, and as a person trusts and looks to Jesus, their heart is changed. They are regenerated. They are literally born again. And can I tell you this? The greatest privilege we have is the privilege, and it's really a right. 
It's a right that God has given the human race. You hear this? God has given a right. It is a right given by Jesus Christ, a right to be born again. You say a right. Well, listen to what the word of God says. It says in John, St. John chapter one, verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but he, as many as received him to them, he gave the right. Isn't that what the Bible says? He gave the right. That is, that is the privilege. He gave them the right. He gave them the privilege to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you hear that? He said in verse 5, if you're born of water and the spirit. What is that? Water and the spirit. I don't believe that means water baptism because that wouldn't have been a Jewish thing. But I believe that what he's talking about here, born of water, is, is physical birth. Every baby's born of water. You mamas know that. That which is born of flesh is flesh, verse 6. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Only, only human beings can give physical life. But it's through the Holy Spirit and it's through the Word of God that we're born of spiritual life. It's the greatest privilege known to man that God has given us that right to be born again. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to quit there. But what I want you to know in this is who we are. I am a child of God. Say that with me. I am a child of God. I want you to stand with me this morning, if you would, please. I want you to stand with me. And I want to take a moment here, and I, I didn't even really get too deep into this. But I got deep enough and far enough along in this message to help us to understand the wonderful love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are God's children, we are God's family. And that love is a broad love. God loves every single one of us. Do you know that? Every single one of us the same you know I mean think about it we don't go you don't take all your kids to the mall and then you lose one and go oh I got some others it's all right no who does that you know right like oh I lost little lost little little Jimmy oh it's all right we've got the other three it's fine no you would just pull your hair out you would that's the way God feels when you become his child you are precious to him you're his child you bear, and I didn't get to this part, but you bear his nature. Maybe next week we'll talk about how we can know we're born again. I, and I've talked to people, they're like, it's like a, it's like a, a, a guesswork. Well, I hope I'm going to get in. No, it's too important to just guess. Do you know that you can know you're saved? And I guess what I want to leave you with today, a lot of things going on in, in my heart, but I just feel God's love for us that he has accepted us. You are accepted in the beloved. And the great thing is, I don't, I'm not accepted because of my own works and my own, you know, a lot of people are trying to, you know, and, and certainly we should put effort into serving the Lord, but to be accepted in salvation, we don't bring our own merit. We don't like, well, you know, Lord, if I'm, if I'm good enough or if, I, if I, one day I'm going to get good enough, you're going to really like me or love me. That's not how God's love works. Everyone say grace. Grace has to do with gift. And it has to do with unearned favor. 
Some of you this morning need to get a revelation of this. You know, there's people that are even saved, that are truly saved, that accepted God's gift of salvation, but somehow there's just, it's like a gnawing headache that's kind of back there in the back of your head. It's just this burden that, 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 am I really accepted? See, here's the, here's the thing. We're not accepted on what we've done, but we're accepted on the perfect work of Calvary. The perfect death of Jesus. He paid for our sins. He accepts you. He loves you. He is for you. And I believe that he's really proud of us for sticking it out and, and, and moving the church forward to this property because I believe good days are ahead for us. Why? Because we're the children of God. But notice this, and here's our close. And that little text that we read, and I feel like I butchered this, but uh, the we's, the us's, the church is so important and I've heard people all my life, all my life, like, oh, well, you know, you, just, you do have to go to church to get to heaven. The longer I live and the more I study the Word of God, I doubt that. I doubt that. I doubt very seriously. I'm not saying the church gets you to heaven. But I'm just telling you the church is more vital than you and I realize. It's what Jesus lives for. It's the only thing he's doing in our world. It's the only thing he's doing. What he's doing, he's doing it through the church. I'm, I'm telling you, that people tag Jesus on everything in the world. Jesus, I'm going to sell Jesus tennis shoes. He ain't into that, my brother and sister. He's into his kingdom, the church. We're part of a wonderful kingdom. We're part of a wonderful family. We're going to live together forever and ever. It's going to be an amazing thing. And I would say this to you, if you're not saved... You need to give your heart to Jesus. Time is running out. That's not to scare you. That's a reality. We had a friend pass away, as I've said, just this week. Young and old pass away. Young and old die. We had, uh, I think, Carol, you shared with me that uh, a, a mechanic that they know, their, their child, was in a, their son was in a head-on collision, and he's hanging between life and death. That's just too heavy of a burden. We need to make sure that our sins are forgiven. No sin will ever get in heaven. Not one. Not one sin will get in heaven. Our sins have to be washed away and repented of. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we have to turn from sin. And if you need to be saved today, I'll be here in the front to talk with anyone or to pray with you. We're always here to pray and to minister. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he would never give an altar call pastored the largest church in the world in that day but every Tuesday he said if God is dealing with you to get saved they would call it the inquiry room this is kind of the way they did it he would be in the inquiry room and if you need to be saved you come to that room we will be there I will be there others will be there and we will pray with you to receive Christ and there was like 30 years or more that there wasn't hardly a week ever that people didn't come and give their heart to Jesus. See, God's, God wants you to be a part of his family. He wants to adopt you into his family. He welcomes you. Oh, well, Pastor, would the Lord receive me? I mean, look, if you only knew what I've done. Listen, there again. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. 
And we all need mercy. And we all need forgiveness. And we all can come and receive him. Because he's given us that privilege that whosoever will may come. So Father, today, I pray that there would be salvations out of this message. I pray there'd be salvations, even online. Those that may even watch this later, they would come to Jesus and acknowledge and confess their sin, no matter what it is. But to, not, not so much to confess individual sins, yes, but to confess our sinfulness, our sinful propensities, that we are sinners by birth and by nature. And we have to repent. We can either have our sins or we can have forgiveness. We can't have both. We must be willing to turn our sins over to Jesus, turn from them, and turn to Jesus. And so right now, church, let's just pray that many souls would be saved. We pray for salvations. We pray for a harvest. We pray that boys and girls and young men and women would be saved. We pray that whole families would be saved. Because we are the children of God, but we don't want the family to stay like it is. We want to invite others to come to be a part of this wonderful family of God. We can have our sins forgiven. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you can be saved. Your sins can be cleansed. We as ministers have the authority of the keys of the kingdom to proclaim salvation in the name of Jesus. Don't leave without, if you're lost, Please don't leave without being saved. We can help you find Christ. We can pray with you. Now, there's no magic prayer, but there is a cry to God. There's a change that he makes. There's a grace that's given. There's a, there's a conversion that takes place. The Lord can do that. And I pray for faith, for salvation today. And not only that, Lord, but I also pray, I pray that there would be a, a new love that we have for the lost. That when we see lost people, that we wouldn't look down our nose and go, oh, well, that so and so. Well, that was us at one time. That was just like we are. That was just like we are. And, and the reason they do what they do is because that's what sinners do. But oh, the change that Jesus can make in a lost person's life. Now, just a moment, church. I want you just to keep your eyes closed and heads bowed just for a moment. I just feel this. I want you to think back that there was a time before you knew Christ. You were lost. You were without the Lord. You weren't, you, your sins were dominating your life. I want you to think back to that moment. You didn't know any better. You were lost. Your mind was darkened. You didn't know any better. You lived in sin because you didn't know any better. Yes, you knew it was wrong, but you really didn't have the knowledge of God. You didn't know what Jesus could do. Just go back to that time just for a moment. Think about, think about that time. You were without God. You were so empty and so lost. And then somebody said to you, have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? He can save you. He can, he can forgive your sin. He can assure your eternity. He can, it was so that when you die, you won't die lost and go out into a Christless burning eternity, but you'll go to heaven when you die, but only if you know Jesus. And someone said that to you and you said yes to Jesus. So, Lord, over this room and maybe on the Internet right now, if you, if you need Jesus, just say, Jesus, I say yes to you. 
I say yes to you. Forgive me of my sins, my wicked heart, the things I've done, the words I've spoken, the actions I've taken, the the, the activities I've been involved in. I'm so sorry, Lord. And I turn away from those and I turn to you and ask you to have mercy. Jesus, I trust you to save me. I can't save myself. I can't redeem myself. I can't pick myself up. There's nothing in me that I can trust. But Jesus, you are the Savior and I trust you to save me. And please forgive me. I believe that you died, lived and died and rose again on the third day. And I believe that you're coming again. And Lord, I want to be your child. I want to be a child of God too. I want to be a part of your family. And Jesus, I yield myself to you in salvation. I take the hands off the steering wheel and say, Jesus, you take the wheel of my life. Save me. Save me. Save me, Lord. Have mercy on my soul. Have mercy on my soul. I don't want to die lost. I'm going to die saved one day. Thank you. And Father, I pray that everyone that's heard this message today, that somewhere along their week, that they would find somebody to share Jesus with. They would find someone. So we have to begin to bring people to the Lord's house. We have to church we have to we have to get serious about souls we have to bring people we can't come and just enjoy the blessing of the lord without caring for souls so lord let that deep burden for souls come on us let that love for lost people everyone red and yellow black and white they're all precious in his sight and i pray right now come on just lift your hands i'm almost done just say lord give me a burden for lost people help me to pray for lost people help me to love my family my lost family and my co-workers lord they may be even laugh at me for serving jesus but lord we love them and we pray for them save them lord make me a soul winner hallelujah come on say that make me a soul winner jesus jesus make me a soul winner Help me to be a fisher of men. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if the Lord's worked in your heart today, come tell us. If the Lord's worked in you, if you've been saved online, post it and say, listen, I'm a child of God now. I got saved. And for us that are here this morning, God's going to give us that, that love for souls. Amen. That we love lost people. We're going to look past what they're doing and see the value of their soul, right? Because Jesus died for such as them. So Lord, as we conclude this time, we're so grateful, so grateful that we have this privilege of coming together week after week to be nourished and encouraged and instructed. And Lord, I pray that all my prayer, Lord, for this sermon that you put in my heart is this. That this week that we all would remind ourselves every day that I am a child of God. That's the portrait. I'm in the, I'm in the family. And I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God in God's great big family. Remind us of that this week. You've adopted us. You care for us. And you're walking with us. And this, this title child of God is is our greatest privilege because John said behold what love 
Behold what love the Father's bestowed on us that we be called the children of God. What a privilege. Would you say that, church? What a privilege. What a privilege. Now, Lord, I dismiss your people in the grace of God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of our God, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit rest upon you all. And everybody said, Amen. Bless you, church. We love you. God bless you.